everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. This week we're going to dedicate this episode to discussing the topic of prosecuting healthcare workers for making mistakes while in the process of doing their job. And we're obviously choosing to do this because of the result of the verdict um, in the Redondavat trial that was handed down last week. Obviously, obviously, you guys know I've been following this for the past three years. For those of you who don't know Redonda was a nurse at Vanderbilt University. She accidentally gave the wrong medication to a patient, and the patient ultimately died because of the medication error. And there, there are a lot of details, a lot of details in that whole event. And so if you, for some reason, don't know about it, and you want to know the details, you can listen to our episode that was released on January the 18th called Good Nurse Redonda Vaught, Bad Internal Medicine Doctor. And Redonda was a guest on that episode. She is there, and I go through the entire timeline of exactly what happened. So I'm going to assume that if you're listening to this, that you're familiar with the details and we don't have to rehash that whole thing. But um, for now, let me introduce my guests for this week. First of all, we have an old friend of the podcast and fellow nurse podcaster, Tom, with will continue to monitor the podcast. Tom, welcome back to the show. It's great to be back. Thank you, Miss Tina. Well, it's always good to have you on here. And Tom, we have to be on our very best behavior because we have very special guests, so no shenanigans. But Yes, ma'am. <laughs> we have Sarah Beth Myers. She is a candidate for district attorney in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, she's running against the current DA, who, by the way, thought it was a good idea to bring criminal charges against a nurse for making a medication error. Welcome to the show, Ms. Myers. Thank you all so much for having me. Well, it's an honor to have you on the show. I'm really excited to have you because I saw that Nurse Erica interviewed you. And when I heard your stance on the issue, I knew I wanted to meet you, talk to you, contribute to your campaign, whatever I can do to help. We what definitely we want you in our corner and we want to be in your corner. So before we get into getting Sarah Beth's opinion about the trial, I want to start off first of all, by expressing our deepest condolences to the family of Charlie Murphy. I always try to do this whenever I talk about this case, because I never want to forget that the most important aspect of this whole horrific thing is that Charlene Murphy was not just a sentinel event. She was a mother. She was a wife. She was a grandmother. She was a friend. She was a wonderful woman, according to all of the people that talk about her that were connected with her. And so she lost her life because of a medication error. And I never, ever want to forget that. So we want to do everything humanly possible to make sure as healthcare workers that we can learn from unthinkable events like this one. And in learning, we can make changes in processes and in systems so that we can prevent things like this from happening in the future. So Sarah Beth, I'd like to start off, first of all, just by giving you an opportunity to tell our listeners about yourself and all the reasons why you're running for office and how you plan to make a difference in the Nashville area. Thank you so much again. And I just appreciate the opportunity. So I, my story is a circuitous one in getting here to run for district attorney, but I'll be brief. I won't tell you my life story, but I'm originally from Missouri. And I came to Vanderbilt Law School in 2006. And in 2006, I started a partnership between the law school and an organization here called Thistle Farms. And that particular organization helps women 
with a history of drug addiction and prostitution in a two-year residential program get rehabilitated and back into the community. We help with expungement and a variety of other issues to make sure that women don't go back to the streets. And so I created a partnership with that program and those women inspired me to become a prosecutor in the first place. They were all survivors of domestic violence, sexual assault, human trafficking, child sexual abuse. And I said, this is what I wanna do. I wanna work with people who have survived this because I've seen how the criminal justice system has failed them in so many ways. And I wanna prevent them from going into the system in the first place if I can. And if they're in it, I wanna help them transition and be successful through a restorative justice program. And so I joined the board after law school. I joined the DA's office after practicing for a couple of years. And I was in the domestic violence division doing exactly what I wanted to do, helping women just like those women. And then I went to the attorney general's office and then the United States attorney's office where I was a federal prosecutor for the last five years. And I've been the civil rights coordinator and the human trafficking coordinator for 32 counties here in the middle district of Tennessee. So I've seen the insides of jails. So many of my victims have been inmates who've been incarcerated and they've been abused by corrections officers. And so many of my other victims in my human trafficking cases have been children and women who also have suffered sexual abuse, again, domestic violence, and some of the most horrific acts that you can imagine. And that's both in the sex trafficking context and the labor trafficking context. So what I want to bring to Nashville specifically is to focus on crime prevention and civil rights and restorative justice. So those are the three pillars of my campaign. We have to get into the community in an unprecedented way and have ADAs out in the community building relationships with stakeholders, businesses, healthcare organizations, unions, churches, all of those organizations that understand why certain crime is happening so that we can then target resources to prevent it. I want to be focusing on violent crime specifically because we have a lot of gun crime here in Nashville, and we need to get our homicide numbers down. I'm really running to save lives and to make sure that we have equity in our system. So in terms of equity, I'm going to conduct the first civil rights criminal justice audit of Davidson County, from arrest to sentencing to see exactly where the disparities are so that we can finally address them from a system standpoint, because systemic reform is where we're finally going to get change. I'm going to continue training law enforcement on violence prevention and hate crime identification, and then finally create the office's first restorative justice unit to help people transition from incarceration back into the community with resources they need to be successful. And on a personal note, I have two children. I've been married for seven, almost 17 years, but my daughter is 10. My son is eight. And my daughter spent over two months in the NICU back when I first had her. She had multiple surgeries, including a couple of heart surgeries. And we spent a lot of time with nurses during that period of time. And I have the utmost respect for that field, for every healthcare provider who helped us through that really grueling and challenging time. My daughter's doing great now, but so much of that is due to the nurses who took care of her 24-7 for that two and a half month period. NICU nurses are just the best. They have, uh, man, their hearts are just huge and they have the ability to care for such vulnerable patients and care for their families and they're strong enough to do it and I'm not I don't think I could do it and so when I look at nurses who are able to do that 
such a difficult job. The service that they offer to families and to those babies is just unreal. And I appreciate them so much. So I appreciate you, you, you talking about that. It means a lot to me personally. <laughs> it, they really helped our family get through a very difficult time. And I know how hard the job is. Sleeping in the hospital, having seen all the different shifts and the floor nurses and everyone come through, I am I feel like acutely aware, having lived in a hospital, <laughs> to really see how hard people work and how overworked and tired they often are as well. Well, a lot of people, and I'm glad you said that last part, because that's also the perspective I think a lot of people lose, is they hear about stuff like the case we're going to talk about today but they've never really been in a hospital more than a couple hours. They've never seen the things that you may have seen from the inside. And it kind of gives a, I say a better perspective on what we actually do when you see more than just that little snippet, when you get to live there for a couple months and see everything, it gives you a much broader depth of what we get done. For sure. I, they, the nurses taught me to how to, you know, put an NG tube in. I kind of feel like I got some training, you know, on the job as a parent of a special needs baby for a while, oxygen, all of that. And yes, I have the utmost respect and I can't imagine doing that uh, full time as a job. So more power to everyone who chooses that field to go into. Well, and I think that right now in the, the climate that we're in and, and, what our the state of healthcare that we're in right now, it is so important to try to retain as many nurses and other healthcare workers uh, that we can because we're losing so many. They're just, we're just literally hemorrhaging healthcare staff, and it, it's really important to try to do what we can to bring healthcare workers together to help us to enjoy our job to try to improve. The, the situation that we, you know, our working conditions. And so this feels like such a huge step backwards. We are already fighting against, you know, st staffing issues, horrible staffing ratios and, an, and unsafe working conditions. And with nurses right now working in these conditions, there are a lot of people I feel like are kind of teetering on um, the edge of whether or not to continue as a nurse. There really are. I see it all over social media. People saying, I don't know if I can do this. It's too hard. Hospitals don't want to pay nurses anything near what they should be worth, given the amount of education that they're required to have, the amount of responsibility that's placed on their shoulders. Hospitals don't want to pay for that. And nurses aren't wanting to make, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. It's, they just want a, a, a decent wage to be able to provide for their family. You know, there's a lot of single parents that are nurses and it's not reasonable to expect them to take on all the responsibility of working at, at the bedside and caring for patients and all of the risk that's involved and expect them to make maybe just a little bit more than what someone working at, say, Target, for example, it makes. And so then all of a sudden, so you have nurses that are thinking, I don't know if I can do this anymore. It's really hard, given more and more tasks to do at the hospital. Oh, I'm sorry, we don't have people to take out the garbage. You're going to have to take out your own garbage. I'm sorry, we don't have phlebotomists anymore. We're short-staffed. You're going to have to start drawing your own labs. I'm sorry, but we just can't find any CNAs. You're going to have to do your own baths and we can't, we don't have anybody to pass trays. There's nobody, you know, for dietary, you have to pass your own trays. Everything keeps getting piled on to nurses. And so that's why they're leaving. And then, so then when this happened, when this case came down Friday, I just felt this horrible 
kick in the gut. I mean, it was awful. I was stunned for a couple of days. I really just couldn't even talk about it. It was so upsetting. I really didn't think there would be 12 random people that would agree with this. And it upset me at first that, that it almost felt like our society was turning on us. And then I just thought, this is not fair. Those people were doing their job as jurors. And so it is not their fault. Where does this start? And I thought, this goes back to the district attorney. That district attorney was handed a case by the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation agent that investigated it. And he looked at that case and thought it was a good idea to charge her with reckless homicide and an abuse of an impaired adult. And sunk his teeth into it and refused to let go for three years. And the only deal that Redonda was ever offered included her being found guilty of abuse of an impaired adult and placed on the registry for elder people who abuse elder people, their state registry, like the same kind of registry for sex offenders, except people who abuse elderly people. And so she said, I'm not doing that. I did not abuse anyone, let alone an elderly person. I would not do that. She would not do that. She is not that kind of person. And I think everybody that that watched the trial and listened to the doctors and nurses that worked with her that said she we would give her the highest higher acuity patients because we trusted her with them because she was so good at watching them at monitoring them and letting us know about acute changes. And she's who you want educating your other nurses because she's so good at her job and she loves her job and she's so passionate about nursing. And that's the kind of nurse that they chose to prosecute. And so that's why I decided, like, the way we need to go about this is this really is about one man. This one man in Nashville who has this office, he's held it since 2014, that made made a mistake. Let's just say that. He made a mistake in his job. And I would like for it to cost him his job personally. I don't think he deserves that position. And... I would just like to give you this platform and allow you to just tell everyone, you know, what do you think about this case? Why do you think he decided to do this? Well, I I find his decision appalling. And I think that you're absolutely right. You know, starting at the jury verdict and working your way back, you know, how did we get to this point? And you are right. You know, it never gets in front of a jury until a district attorney decides that there's going to be criminal charges. And here, there should have never been criminal charges, period. We have so many issues going on in this city and nationally uh, in terms of gun crime, intentional violent crime. And we have limited resources for what we're going to prosecute. And so when I saw this, I thought, really? You know, this case, it seems a bizarre choice for me because medical malpractice from a civil standpoint, and I practiced civil law before too, that happens every single day because we're human beings. There are mistakes that are made in the legal profession too. That's why we carry malpractice insurance as well, that every single day as a human being, and there are civil procedures in place to address those. So why criminally prosecute someone too for something that has been addressed civilly by the nursing board? She's not going to be a nurse anymore. So, so that harm is alleviated. And Vanderbilt paid out. We know that. We don't know the details of it, but we know that there was a civil resolution of this case. And you're absolutely right. It was a tragic mistake that resulted in the death of a human being. And that happens 
every single day in this country, all across this country, in nursing homes, in hospice care, in hospitals, and in, in home care. So why this case? You know, what made this different? Well, it came before this particular Nashville DA, it came in front of him. And this particular DA has a series of bad decisions, in my opinion, misjudgments that he's made over the years. And that has been from breaking the law himself, which the attorney general agreed with, said he intentionally broke the law back in 2015, but would be allowed to pay the money back and not be prosecuted for it, to prosecuting high profile cases, not because it's necessarily the right socially responsible thing to do, but because it will grab headlines. So there's a history of headline grabbing with this particular DA. And in a high profile case such as this, a Vanderbilt nurse, death resulting, this is a healthcare city. Nashville's one of our primary industries is healthcare. So this would be a headline grabbing case. Now, I just don't see it as prosecuting one person in a vacuum ever. That's why I want a restorative justice unit as well, because the harm that happens doesn't just happen to one person. It doesn't involve one defendant. It doesn't involve one victim. It involves a community. And here it involves the entire healthcare community. So you can't just say, oh, this is one person, one case. No, it sets a precedent for everything else that follows. And other courts can cite that. Other DAs can cite that. Where do we draw the line on this slippery slope of criminally prosecuting people for civil malpractice mistakes? And I don't think you can draw one legitimately. Either you prosecute them all or you prosecute none of them. And here we have so many different systems in place. And it sounds like in this particular case, there were a lot of different failures. It's never just one person in a healthcare system either. And if it comes down to one person, you still have to ask yourself from a societal standpoint, is this something that we in the legal profession from a criminal justice standpoint should be doing when we again have fentanyl dealers who are not being prosecuted here in Nashville. We have massive amounts of drugs coming into this county because this district attorney chose to dissolve the drug task force. So those are decisions that are being made. Those are the types of decisions that have been made by this particular person where we need to be working not against the healthcare community, but with the healthcare community. We need a task force here in Nashville that's going to be addressing the fentanyl and opioid issues that we have. And that means working with healthcare providers and other nonprofits to where we can actually work to prevent people from overdosing from deadly drugs. That's what I want to focus on, saving lives, not prosecuting providers for making mistakes. So in a nutshell, <laughs> that's a broader scope of the background in this case. Well, and you actually said something, you literally said almost the exact words I was going to ask is, where is the slippery slope? How do we define it? And now how does he basically, in essence, I feel like the toothpaste is now out of the tube. Like once this person has been prosecuted, as you just said, these can be cited. So how would a person in our perspective, a healthcare worker, how can we reasonably not expect every time we make a mistake to not possibly have this come down on us? Like, is there anything that we should be looking out for or what should we be doing now on this side from a prosecutor's point of view? 
from my point of view, what is extremely effective in cases like this and what I think makes a huge impression on the sentencing judge is going to be letters. It's going to be statements from other providers. And the more statements, the better about the concern of the entire healthcare community to illustrate that and make sure that it's very clear that what happened here I mean, it happens everywhere. And I'm sure that people know several other providers who have had instances where they made a mistake on the job. And two, in this case, I think that the family and their statements, uh, the family of Ms. Murphy is going to be very important as well in terms of, you know, how do they feel from a forgiveness standpoint? You know, what do they want to see as the survivors and the family? And it is my understanding that they have been very compassionate is my understanding. I haven't spoken with the victim's family. But in this case, hearing from other nurses, especially leaders and unions, you know, local, state, federal unions, if that's possible to get everyone and rally everyone around this issue and make sure that your voices are heard in sentencing so that, I mean, she's looking at jail time. She's looking at going to jail for this mistake that she made after this conviction. And again, it's not the jury's fault. The jury's not going to decide, but the judge will. And so getting that information to the court in advance could have a real impact. And if you have a judge sitting there with binders full of letters that will have to be read and analyzed, I think that will really have a huge impact on sentencing. Well, we do have a Facebook um, group called Nurses March for Redonda Vaught. And it has already, and we just started it yesterday, and there's already over a thousand members in this in this group. And it's people who are either wanting to, a lot of them are going to be there. <laughs> I don't know how Nashville's going to handle it, but there's a lot of people coming from all over. And then the ones who can't, they are going to doing what they can and, and sending letters. We do have, we got from Redonda's defense attorney, it's sort of like a template what's so we can kind of have an idea of what's appropriate and we have the judge's address and how to address her and all of that we've put that out there for people and if you guys want to go to that facebook group it's nurses march for redonda vaught on facebook you can find all that information on there it's literally everything is laid out redonda asks that you read everything on there because there are very specific instructions as she says she wants to keep it classy she's trying to kind of Keep everything above board. And, you know, when you when they go low, you go high, you know. And so that's what she's trying to do, not get stooped to their level. So just keep that in mind. And her favorite color is purple. So I think everyone, a lot of people are going to try to wear like maybe purple scrubs or something purple. She said she doesn't even care. She would love to just see a rainbow of scrubs, she said, there. And so for everyone who is listening to this and wants to know what they can do to help, just like Sarah Beth just said, send a letter, go to this Facebook group, get the information off of there send a letter to the judge, letting them know, how did this impact you? How do you think this is going to impact the healthcare system going forward? What kind of precedent you, you know, what are you, what are you worried about? And maybe that could make a difference in what and how Redonda is sentenced. I am scared for her about jail time. I'm really worried. I don't, I, I don't want to see her taken off in handcuffs. It's just awful to think about. And I think that I feel like the judge I sat through the whole trial and I've been there through all of the hearings and it's been Jennifer Smith, the honorable Jennifer Smith has been the one residing over the whole thing every time I've been there. And she seems like a very fair and reasonable person. She's just very professional, but yet just something about her just comes across as compassionate for some reason. I don't know. She seems to, 
just be, I think she just seems perfect. So I'm really hoping that, and I understand she has to take everything into consideration. I do. I totally understand that Charlie Murphy's family is going to be there. They will probably read in victim impact statements. I'm sure maybe, I don't know. Cause they, they did come out with a statement initially when this first happened. And they said that they, one of them said that they did not think that Miss Murphy would want Redonda prosecuted. And they, it was incredibly sad and they were, it's just torn their family apart, but they don't believe that Miss Murphy would want that. They've, I think been pretty quiet ever since then. And maybe there is one other family member that has come out and sort of maybe for the, the prosecution. Um, and so I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen, but I just would like for, and there are a lot, there are few healthcare workers out there on these sites that will, will come back and say, you know, I don't know how she made that mistake. How did she not read? How did she not look at the vial? How did she skip the safety protocols? And I would just like to say to you that of course, everybody has a right to their opinion, but I want you to stop and think about this. If you look at that whole, every step-by-step, everything that happened, the missing the alerts and missing the warnings and typing in the wrong name, not looking at the vial, giving her the medication and not monitoring, whatever, all of the things that everyone has, has said was so, were so egregious. If you look at all that and you say, there's no way I could ever do that. And you think somehow that makes you safe. It doesn't because stop and ask yourself, is there any mistake that you could make while working as a healthcare professional with direct patient in direct patient care? Is there any mistake that you could make that it could lead to bodily harm, serious bodily harm or death? Because I know that with my job working in an intensive care unit directly with patients who are extremely ill with drips and all sorts of medications that are very sensitive, that I'm one bad day away from being Redonda fought. And if, if you think that, you know, you could look at a mistake you make and justify it and just say, oh, but my mistake is easier to make than hers. It doesn't matter because once the precedent is set, then Glenn Funk and, or his equal can come along and say, well, that mistake was not a mistake. You were just being sloppy. You were being reckless. Now, yes, you know, because here's the thing, that nurse that got on the, on the stand it's been a nurse forever and sat there and said, she should have done this. She should have done that. And then they used Redonda's words right back on her because she was way too honest without an attorney present from the beginning. She just wanted to be honest, like we are taught to do in healthcare. And, you know, that nurse gets up there and says, she should have done this. She should have done that. There are people before you who put the, that medicine in there. You have to check it when you go to pull it. And I'm just thinking, so it's okay for the people before you to make mistakes, but it's not okay for me because, I, you know, she said the buck stops with you. Okay, that means that everyone else before me can make mistakes, but I cannot. I have to be perfect as the nurse because I'm the last person in between that medication order or that medication and the patient. And the thing is, I want to be perfect. I wish I could be. But I can't. I'm not perfect. No. Even though I work as a provider now, we all deal with the fact it's something that we don't want to admit, but mistakes do happen. And we try our best to avoid them, but they are almost certainly inevitable at this point. With this many decisions and orders being written and orders being carried out, mistakes are going to happen. I try to talk to the nurses that have made some of the statements that Ms. Tina spoke about, how they would do things perfect because they're perfect. My 
my response to them is nobody's doubting that a mistake happened. Like that's not the problem. We understand a, a very serious event happened and a patient lost her life. And nobody seems to have taken that harder than Redonda herself. My problem is now that we have identified that a mistake happened to try and say that this nurse did something with the intent or recklessly with the intent of letting this happen, which causes, and now we're criminally. And I don't think that those nurses that are making these very flippant, you know, statements about how they would do it perfectly realize none of that matters. It does not matter how perfect you are. If there is a Glenn Funk Jr. who wants to make this prosecution happen, he now can, or she can, or whoever. But the point is, that's what we should be focusing on. And I think that some of these nurses are missing that point. It's not that a mistake happened. Nobody has argued that. It's, is this the correct way to treat a nurse who made that mistake and then set the president for the rest of healthcare? Because I can tell you right now, even though this happened at bedside, me as a provider, my eyes are open. And if you're not a doctor, a surgeon, a nurse, a respiratory therapist, anybody that's involved with healthcare, and you are not seriously wondering about what your current status is within healthcare and if you're going to stay, then I don't think you're really paying attention to what's going on. Well, I think, Tom, you make a great point that leadership really does matter. And local leadership truly matters in terms of a person's daily life the most. But a district attorney in this context has the ability to influence really the nation. This is something that has been followed nationally. And so that that misjudgment and how to handle that, as I've been telling folks, you know, when they ask, well, why do you think he did this? I'm like, well, I can't get inside his head and, and I don't want to, especially in this context. But all I can think of is it's a high profile case. It would get him attention because that's the only thing that I could think because it doesn't make sense objectively. You don't just prosecute in a vacuum and you always have to ask, I mean, I can prosecute it. Could I? Yes, it meets the elements, but should I? And so that also leads to dismissals as well. So something could be charged and later dismissed. And he had a long time where he could have dismissed charges at any point leading up to the trial. And he didn't. And then I know he issued a statement later, you know, basically just doubling down, you know, saying that, no, I, I did it today and I would have done it again. And it only involved this one person. And the fact that he thinks that that was the correct decision from the beginning should make voters extremely concerned <laughs> just from a judgment standpoint. This is a societal issue. Crime is a societal issue. And what we choose to criminally pursue versus civilly pursue or not pursue at all is really impactful on our entire society. So no, this was not a case in a vacuum. This is not just one case. This is a slippery slope. And I want to make sure that people's voices are heard, especially, especially because I could see it as a terrifying disincentive to continue in the profession or for the poor people going into the profession, giving them second thoughts. And do we really want to be discouraging people from going into the healthcare field right now, especially given where we are from a global standpoint? No, we want to be encouraging people to go into the healthcare field. We want to be encouraging teachers, you know, and it seems like in these key fields that we have in our country, we need people in leadership positions who are making the appropriate micro and macro based decisions. And this was just a complete failure of judgment from the beginning.
Sarah Beth, do you think, so I, obviously, I, I don't know anything about law. It's just, I joke all the time on my podcast because it's sort of a true crime podcast. We talk, we tell a lot of true crime and I joke all the time that I'm almost a lawyer because I've been on a jury two times. And so, um, <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, but I, I, it's in all seriousness, I really don't under, there, I know how compl- it's complicated. There's so many, you know, so it's such a complex system, but if, so now that she's been convicted, and I know there are appeals ahead of her, and I don't know how that's going to work, if she even wants to appeal, if she just wants to take her lumps and move on. She, I know she's exhausted, and she really doesn't want to drag this out, I don't think, for the family, but I don't know what's going to happen. But if, first of all, when is the election, the actual election? This election for district attorney is May 3rd, but early voting starts April 13th. So it's right around the corner. So if you were to become the new district attorney, is there anything at that point later on that you can do in this particular case to make a difference in this case once it's now that there's been a conviction? Well, it will really depend on what happens in this case. So from a sentencing standpoint, we'll just have to see. So I can't really predict until we know it's sentencing what's going to happen. But there's so many different ways that it could go. But we have to figure out what's going to happen. I believe it's May 13th. So it's just about a week and a half after the election itself. So we've got to get him out of office. (laughs) That's step one to make sure that, you know, we're on the right track, regardless of what happens on May 13th. But and not just for this particular case, but for all the cases going forward, it's an eight-year term, which is the longest term in the state for judges and the district attorney. So it's crucial that we have somebody in that role who's going to be cognizant of both the micro and macro societal effects of prosecution. And we need a person who has good judgment in that role and is not motivated by anything other than doing the right thing. And so I'm interested to see what happens. I think hearing nurses' voices and making sure that the judge is aware of the impact that this will have on the healthcare community, I think the volume, the sheer volume of people responding will be extremely influential to the judge, especially when you see it printed out in binders, you know, stacked on the bench, that kind of support and people who can physically be there in support will absolutely help too. All of that makes an impression on a judge. And then in addition, those victim impact statements that you talked about, you know, what the family members, you know, decide to, that they want to convey to the court, the court will take all of that into account. But it really will illustrate if people come from all over, letters and emails come from all over, that this is not simply a local issue that this is something in our healthcare city here in Nashville that has huge ripples across the entire country. And so I think that would be my number one piece of advice as to what nurses can do. And then going forward to get him out of office, you can try to help me win, <laughs> which would be very helpful just moving forward so that we don't have this issue again. And not just in the healthcare context, but who knows what's going to come up next? You know, Which industry is going to be next? And when you're seeking headlines instead of change and justice and equity and restorative justice, that's very dangerous. And it's a dangerous mentality for a person to have who has that much power. And he's the only person responsible for bringing these charges against her because a high profile case like that has to go all the way to the top. And again, he had all that time where he could have changed his mind. Those charges could have been dismissed. 
and he doubled down. Nope, it's going to trial. And so it did. And now we see what happens and it is alarming. And so if people would like to learn more about me and how to get him out of office, it's myersforda.com. That's the website. I think you can see it behind me. There we go. And it's spelled M-Y-E-R-S, myersforda.com. Well, I, you know, for those of you that are listening in the Nashville area, I want you that have the power to be able to vote in this situation. Stop and think about this. You, most, there are so many people that are connected to healthcare in one way or another. And anybody, it's not, this is not just about nurses. This is about anyone in healthcare. But I would even um, go further than that and say, if you're in a position where, I mean, say you're a mechanic and you make a legitimate mistake just doing your job. Could, it, could that not happen? Could someone make a mistake and the brakes not work on someone's car that causes an accident? And is that person going to be charged criminally and be put in jail, put in prison for years? I feel like there are lots of different types of professions where someone in doing their job to the very best of their ability makes a mistake and then it could potentially cost someone's life. And dare I say, a prosecutor that chooses to co- come after a person that ends up being innocent. And we all know, I've talked about it many times on my podcast, that there have been people who've been put to death in this country. And then later they find out that they were innocent the whole time. And there has there have even been cases where there was evidence that the prosecution had or just certain types of evidence that for whatever reason was just, it was overlooked. It was just a mistake. We just don't know what happened. I was just laying in a different file or, and that did that person lose their life because of a mistake? Did that person lose their life because that prosecutor was being sloppy, being reckless, but can we come after a prosecutor? Well, no, we can't because they're, you know, they have to be able to be human and do their job and make mistakes or, they wouldn't want to go after people, right? So I just feel like I understand that, you know, that it's not exactly the same thing, but at the same time, I, we all have a responsibility in our jobs to try to do the best that we can. And if we don't allow people, nurses, nurse practitioners, doctors, respiratory therapists, physical therapists, other people in healthcare to be human beings, doing the best that they possibly can, but make mistakes and learn from them. We are definitely not going to be safer for it. This is not going to help anybody in society. I completely agree. I think it so discourages honesty and transparency and coming forward when there are mistakes. I mean, she admitted it from the beginning and we need people to be honest and open about what happened so that we can then investigate it and find out what could we do better this time. But in a system like this, I feel like it's going to shut down that willingness to come forward for fear of jail time. And that is not something that should ever be on a provider's mind when they made a mistake. Intentional is completely different, but a mistake 
that anyone could make. I love your analogy of the legal profession and of mechanics. I think that this is such an opportunity for unions, which are so important and can be the voice of the masses to really unite here and use that voice. Even if you haven't used it in this context before, I've received such an outpouring that has been really touching for me from people all over this country, providers who have been grateful in knowing that they will be safe from this type of prosecution for the next eight-year term. This is not something that they will have to worry about. And this is not something that we need to perpetuate. So some people have said they've never donated to a political campaign before, and they may be a Republican, but they're donating to me, a Democratic candidate, because they are focused on this issue, which is so important, not just here, but for our country. And I really appreciate that support because party shouldn't matter and it shouldn't matter, period, to me, (laughs) but the issues should. And this is unacceptable, regardless of your background. We need people in these positions of power with great judgment and the ability to talk to experts in the field and make the best decision possible. And that requires not being an island, but having more communication with stakeholders, building relationships within the healthcare community. We should have those anyway. We don't right now, but we need to be cooperating with our experts and with the people in our own community. And I hope that this is going to be an example of how people from all over the country can make a change here in Nashville, in this healthcare city that will be for the betterment of the country in the long run. Yeah, the, I guess the last thing is something that Sarah Beth alluded to earlier, and, and that's ongoing crime within the city of Nashville, which is certainly, you know, no uh, no other place I've lived has been immune to it. Crime's everywhere, right? This guy, I guess that to me, this is a testament of his character, this DA, because all the things that are going on and all the problems that may or may not be going on in Nashville been there before visited great city but i don't live there so i don't know all the ins and outs but what i do know is i am a hundred percent sure there are bigger more important and pressing matters than the prosecution of a nurse for a mistake and this guy took the time to use taxpayer money and resources to vilify a person for making a mistake when he could have been doing anything else that I am sure that the good taxpaying you know, people of Nashville would much rather have seen him do than to go after her. You know, I, again, I don't think anyone, including Radon herself, have any argument about the mistake. But I think there's a large argument about intent, and it's clearly not present with her, which is part of the prosecution process. And for it to be turned around like this, again, I'm not going to lie. I immediately thought, I don't want to be in healthcare anymore. Like literally the second I read that. Because when you put people on notice that any mistake they make in a field where they know they're going to make mistakes, that it can at some point be turned around and used against them. I already, you know, am worried to death and it keeps me awake at night to fear about it. But then, oh, I might also go to jail and lose my family. It is almost no longer worth it. And for a profession that was wavering due to the pandemic, this was a true and sincere gut punch and one I was not prepared for. And so I guess on my way out, that's what I want. Anyone listening to this that's in the Nashville area that is like, why would I vote for Sarah Beth? 
is think about what you are going through. As a person who took your taxpayer time and money, you trusted him to do a job. And what did he do? He went after a nurse. So I guess to me, that's the biggest sum, summation of his character that I can make. Well, and Tom, I can actually, I can help a little bit with that illustration too, in terms of intentional crime that he's not prosecuting. Last year, according to MNPD data, that's our Metro Police, he dismissed 87% of domestic violence cases, 65% of firearms cases, 48% of robbery and carjacking cases, and 78% of child abuse and neglect cases. So those are intentional, violent crimes. Those are being dismissed here in Nashville, but he pursued this case. And I'll remind you guys about the shooting that happened in Nashville. I believe it was, if it wasn't last year, maybe uh, it was in the past two years, of a nurse who was just driving down the road on her way to work, and she was shot in her car and killed. This young, I believe her name was Caitlin Kaufman, we talked about it on this podcast. It was so tragic. So we're not going to focus on gun crime. <laughs> really? We're not going to focus on that. No, that, that should be the number one issue. Gun violence and the proliferation of guns and the increase in crime related to guns should absolutely be a focus of this office. Those are intentional crimes. And also as it relates to fentanyl as well, those are other crimes that are intentional that result in people's deaths. We need to be focusing on saving lives here, not prosecuting mistakes that, by the way, have already been addressed by the civil systems in place. So what are we doing? Are we making our city safer by prosecuting a case such as this? Or are we endangering more people, not just the providers who may be discouraged from working in the field or who may hesitate now to provide a certain type of care for fear that they're going to go to jail? Or are we going to encourage people to help others and to go into the healthcare profession? That's the incentive that I want to make from a societal standpoint. We need more healthcare providers and we don't want them to fear prosecution for their mistakes. Yes, and for those of you who are in the Nashville area, you have a lot of power here because these small elections like this kind of happen in the middle of the year. These, it's not only an off-year election, it's kind of at an odd time of the year. I would venture to say there probably aren't a lot of people that vote in these elections. And so if we can have a nice outpouring of people in healthcare and family of people in healthcare and anyone who believes that this was definitely a miscarriage of justice and that this case should not have been prosecuted. If we can just have a little, you know, swelling of those people to show up to the polls and send a message to Glenn Funk. And as Tom said, all the Glenn Funk juniors out there, that if you come for one of us, you're going to get all of us. So I would just say, you know, I, I wish I lived in Nashville. I would be, I'd be the first in line. I would be spending it. I'd pop a tent open, like I'm waiting for a Brandy Carlisle concert. But, <laughs> She's coming to Nashville in July. Girl, I'm already there. I've got, to, I've got my ticket. going to be there. <laughs> oh my goodness. So thank you so much for coming. I want to remind you all that you can go to her website at Myers4DA.com. That's M Y E R S 4DA.com. You can donate to her campaign and also, very importantly, show up to the polls if you live in Nashville. If you don't live in Nashville, but if you have family, maybe you have friends, get the message out there to the people that live in the Nashville area how important this really is for healthcare and for 
everyone in our society. Well, I guess that wraps it up for another this kind of odd, strange episode of Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. And um, Tom, remind everybody where they can find you. Oh, boy. Just Some Podcast Media has a website. That's one I remember. It Basically, just go to Google and put in Just Some Podcast for advanced practitioners or we'll continue to monitor. That's our new one. And that's also thanks primarily to Miss Tina. So there you go. And take a listen. But yeah, I don't know. Go Use Google. Find me. I don't know. I don't know what else to do. So Tom's partner, Ben, is the professional <laughs> yeah. when it comes, whenever he's on it. I'm like, where can we find you guys? Ben like rattles off this whole thing like you hear at the end of commercials. It's hilarious. And if you ask yes, Tom, he just fumbles all over himself for about 60 I'm, seconds. Yeah, <laughs> you... Ben occasionally does that mid-show. He'll be like, hey, Tom, where can they find us? I'm like, I don't know, places. I don't, don't ask me that. <laughs> just Google like, it. I don't know. Yeah, just Google. Just Instagram, Google, Facebook, something like that. I don't know. And you guys know you can find us at goodnursebatters.com. And you can email me. Oh, boy. <laughs> no telling the emails I'm going to get now. Tina at goodnursebatters.com. I'm happy to get them. I definitely want to hear your feedback. And don't forget, on Facebook, you can go to Nurses March for Redonda Bot and join the group and get involved. And I also want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse.